you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's DJ Bucky. Back with you, Buck. How you doing, man? Man, I'm all good. Can't complain. Every day. Uh, another day, another day, another great guest here for us. Love it when we get a chance to visit with uh, people that are plugged in and people that are good friends. And that's what we have now. Bruce Feldman, uh, you know him from Fox Sports. He's their insider there for college football. He's a best-selling author. He's written some fantastic books on the sport. This one, though, has me more fired up than anyone else, any other book that he's written. It's called Flip the Script, Lessons Learned on the Road to a Championship, all about the 2019 LSU Tigers and head coach Ed Orgeron. Bruce, thanks for joining us. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Well, there's so much I want to jump into, but first of all, I want to just start where the concept. I always love it when you come up with the concepts for these books. When when, when did the concept pop into your mind about uh, uh, tagging up with uh, with Ed Orgeron once again? So I did this recruiting book called Meat Market, which is really about the process. And Ogeron was the central figure in it. It was around his program at Ole Miss. And the book did really well. And so a lot of people had always, always asked me, hey, are you ever going to do a sequel? Thinking it would be like on Texas recruiting or Michigan recruiting or whatever. And I never thought that, you know, it's a, such an investment in time. It's really hard to get the level of access to let somebody let you go behind the scenes for that long. So I was just like, I don't know if it's going to happen. And then uh, I kept in touch with Ogeron over the years. And about 18 months ago, uh, he was raving about this assistant coach he had hired from the Saints. And obviously that's Joe Brady. And he was like, man, you know, it's just we're different now. So I, I flew down there and spent a week at LSU in all the meetings and around Joe Brady and at the practices. And he was right. Um, it I came away convinced, and this is April of 2019, they're going to have a, an amazing season, assuming Joe Burrow stays healthy, um, because they had so much going for them. And it was just you'd never see at LSU the offense just – kicking the defense's butt so badly and that's what was going on so at that point i started working on the on the book proposal that is now flipped the script and over time i just kind of kept an eye on it and then when they beat alabama i was like i got a book it's Mm -hmm. it's a no-brainer now and because i knew in the book i could get into ogeron's personal story in a lot more depth than even in meat market because You know, yes, he coached them to a national title and everybody knows he had a spectacular flame out at Ole Miss as his first time at head coach. But also, you know, you knew the Pete Carroll stuff that he worked with him at USC. But I think the depths of his story is you're talking about a guy who in his 20s was on Jimmy Johnson's staff at Miami. They're winning championships. He's coaching and developing Cortez Kennedy and Russell Maryland and later Warren Sapp. But his life spirals completely out of control and he loses his job and, you know, basically ends up with nothing and realizes I got to go to rehab. I need real help here. So he ends up in John Lucas's uh, treatment center for 45 days in Houston. And I think he learned the lessons to to really kind of be very critical into the, the mistakes with him. Not I can't blame my AD. I can't blame I didn't have the resources. Yeah, those things might have been true. But it starts with me. So I think he learned from his mistakes at Ole Miss. He learned from his buddy Lane's mistakes when they were together at USC and at Tennessee. And then I think he learned from from Les Miles' mistakes when he was an assistant under him for a brief time at LSU. So all that was the backdrop into what I was like, to me, this is a no-brainer. And then to be behind the scenes when they won on that national title run, the week going into the Georgia game, then blowing out Oklahoma and then really – you know, whipping Clemson, I just knew I would have great stuff from it. You know, Bruce, in, in thinking about the LSU program for so long, from a scouting point of view, we've always regarded them as an elite program because they had blue chip players. But for whatever reason, on the field, they just hadn't been able to get over the hump based on what we thought their talent level was. When you think about Ed Ogeron and the coaching job that they were able to do, what was the difference this year than previous years in terms of them getting over the hump and being the team that we've always expected them to be? Well, I think the biggest thing, Bucky, was there was a buy-in, right? Like I started, I mentioned this to one of the guys on the Oklahoma staff right before they played him in the playoff about 
their the way they prepare during the week. Um, when when Les was there, and this is not to fault Les because this is I think the way a lot of people did it for years was it was long, arduous physical practices. And I'm not just talking about like in training camp, like all the way through the season. And so Ogeron really listened to the science and listened to his trainer, Jack Marucci and Tommy Moffat, the strength coach there. And so he scaled back the practices in terms of the length of them. Now he wanted the intensity to be higher than ever, but shorter, shorter practices. What he also did was he really cut down on long staff meetings. He doesn't want full staff meetings. They have one a week, whereas a lot of programs would have one a day. And he's, and he was like, that's just not good energy for the program and everything. And I think what ultimately worked here, and I think this is, you know, you're seeing uh, a transition phase going on now because a lot of the, you know, as you guys well know, like most of that starting 22 is in the NFL and the ones who aren't, you know, the best receiver they have, Jamar Chase, he opted out. Tyler Shelvin, really good D lineman. He opted out. Kerry Vincent was a starting DB. He opted out. So, those guys are not there now, but the guys who were there last year and the staff, I think he had total confidence in them and trusted. And so, you know, everything kind of was built towards that. And and I didn't realize this until we started working on the book, but Joe Burrow was basically like a player coach, the way he treated him and the things he delegated. And when you see the in the book, I and he says this, and remember, he was at USC when they had Matt Leinart, who he thinks the world of. But he was like, I've never been around a quarterback like Joe Burrow. You know, and granted, Joe's dad is a long time was a long time coordinator in the Mac at Ohio. But I, I think he saw in him a guy he was like bounce a lot of stuff off of as a conduit. And because because Ogeron's not really hands on with the offense, he lets let Steve Ensminger and Brady do it. It was like, hey, Joe, come you come to me and tell me what you want me to, to tell them if you need to. And he gave him complete trust. And so how that translated, and I didn't realize this really till I got to see him in person, was I'm on the field right before the uh, the Georgia game for the SEC title game. And the team I saw that morning was, was more focused, looser, and way more confident than any team I'm around as a sideline reporter. And they looked exactly the way they do at a Wednesday practice. And I think that's pretty rare when you can get a team carrying itself like that. I want to go back to Joe Burrow here. It, you, you talked about when he first got in there, Bruce. Like, what what was there a moment? Was there a story or something where they were like, okay, this is it. He's, he's the real deal. There is. So he didn't win the job right away. And Ed even thought, you know what, his arm, they think his arm got a little stronger. And they were like, I don't know, it looked like he had a dead arm. They were not really wowed by his his arm at that point at all. And obviously, it's not like he's Josh Allen now. but. Yeah, yeah. I think it was, okay, this guy didn't play at Ohio State. We believe in him. Let's see what we got. Well, he hadn't won the job yet. Most of the team or a a big chunk of the team wanted Justin McMillan, who ended up at Tulane, to be the guy. He had the locker room. So Ed was like, hey, I got to let – if Joe's going to win the team, he's got to win the team. And so there's moments where it's in the conditioning where he's he's beating everybody in races. But the time when I talked to different guys on the staff – was there was a practice before he had been a name the starter where Devin White, obviously a great player, is just chirping the whole time. Offense sucks, you guys. That's not going to work. And and Joe Burrow just, hey, Devin, if you don't shut the bleep up, I'm going to come over there and beat the bleep out of you. And everybody's like, whoa, what? And the coaches felt like, you know what? I think that's what Devin White wanted. 
because they'd never seen an LSU quarterback challenge the defense. Cause why would they at that point? Cause they'd never done anything. So that got everybody's attention that moment. Now, fast forward a year, not basically to the next spring, he's already been the starter. Um, there's a practice where he gets into two fights, one where Jacoby Stevens is rushing the passer, jumps up to deflect a pass and actually lands on Burrow. Burrow goes down. He'd been dealing with an off-season shoulder surgery, and that starts a brawl. Then, like a play later, Patrick Queen uh, hits him late, and Burrow starts the brawl because he felt like he hadn't been in it enough on the one before. And Ogeron said he completed like 85% of his passes that day. They just lit up the defense. And he goes, when I walked off the field, brawl and all, two of them, I felt like we have got something really special. And everybody believed in Joe Burrow. And, you know, like what I, one of the things I'm most proud of about the book is if you're a Bengals fan, more even if you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan, never mind LSU, go read the book because you will come away convinced that Joe Burrow is going to turn your franchise around because he his his demeanor, his attitude, his brain, certainly, all of that made a profound impact on LSU because, you know, obviously Brady brought a lot of elements from the Saints and from Penn State's RPO game that helped. But I just think the way he's wired to operate and when you hear the coaches talk about Joe Burrow, um, you come away. If you were skeptical, you won't be anymore. You know, Bruce, it's funny because you mentioned Joe Brady, and Joe Brady has really been celebrated for being a major contributor to this offensive makeover, yet he wasn't really calling plays. Can you talk a little bit about how he influenced that offense and how he was able to help them make these, I would say, revolutionary changes to this offense to get it playing at a level we'd never seen an LSU offense play at before? Right. So, so Bucky, Steve Ensmer is, is the play caller. He was the offensive coordinator. And what Brady really was, ha- was, was responsible for was calling uh, third downs and red zone. And they were really good in that. If, even if you look at the national title game, Clemson had the best red zone defense in the country. I think uh, LSU went four for five with touchdowns in there. Um, what he did, he brought, they desperately wanted to add the RPO elements to the offense and that's why um, when and Ogeron had worked for the Saints, Greg McMahon, the special teams guy at LSU, had spent a long time with the Saints. So they had uh, Pete Carmichael coming to like they were going to share some ideas. And this is two, you know, two years ago. And they asked Pete, can you have anybody who knows anything about RPOs? And he's like, well, I got a guy down the hall because at the time, you know, nobody knew who Joe Brady was, but he had been. Uh, on James Franklin's staff at Penn State, where Joe Moorhead is kind of an had been really kind of an innovator on that front with RPOs. So Brady had that. Plus, he had you know he's a brilliant guy. I mean, he'd spent all this time around Sean Payton and studying the touchdowns tape every week and all these other things that um, you know he had been thinking about. So they were sold on him beyond that of what he could bring. The other thing that I think is really a Like if I didn't see it with my own eyes, I wouldn't know it. Cause like, I think sometimes we in the media and I'm not saying you guys do this, but I think a lot of writers tend to do it is you just look for kind of what you think is a profile is similar, even if the people really aren't actually similar. So you see, Hey, Sean McVay, really young guy, uh, offensive guy, innovator, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, even though Cliff was a great player, you know, 
a younger guy, looks cool. So maybe Joe Brady is that guy because he's an innovative offensive mind. And I think Joe Brady is that is that guy, but his personality is different from what I know from Cliff and certainly what I know about Sean McVay. But having said that, um, this was interesting to me is because he was also like he worked with Mickey Joseph as coaching the receivers. I would sit in the back of all the meetings and towards the national title game, you know, we're in these like, like huge hotel rooms, as you guys, you know, remember those scenes and there's, I don't know, 20 rows of chairs and the last four rows of chairs, I would sit with this, with the staff other than Ogeron. And I remember the first couple of times I would look around, I was like, where's Brady? I don't even see him. And then I'd look in the front of the room and in the second row, I'd see Justin Jefferson and I'd see Jamar Chase and next to Justin Jefferson with Justin Jefferson's armor, I see that little red head and it would be, you know, cause Brady has, has red hair and close cropped hair and he'd be in the middle of the receivers. He wouldn't eat at least the times I was around there. He wouldn't eat with the coaches necessarily. He'd eat with the receivers and, and he is younger, but I mean, the rapport he had with those guys, it's not like he's just, some, you know, maybe unfair to say it like this, but it's not like he's like some young version of Charlie Weiss who who thinks he's brilliant but has no connection to the players. Like he definitely has that, and I was impressed to see that, especially the just and Justin Jefferson's a gregarious, fun to be around kid. But I saw the relationship between him and those guys, and I was like, okay, he has this this club in his bag too, so to speak. Yeah, I love the fact he's not detached at all. What about being in front of the room? Because this is something – look, Joe Brady, we've talked about it on the podcast. He's going to get interviews for head coaching gigs in the NFL this year because of of the things you've mentioned. I, I've gotten to know him a little bit, but you know him much better than I do. And just being around him, what, what, how would you describe just his presence of being up in front of the room? We talk about blending in, but how is he when he's up there, you know, is, if he's running a meeting? Uh, he's – Good. He's, I tell you what, like you can tell he's really smart. It's going fast. Um, his delivery is different. I would say this, that, you know, seeing him in like in the offensive staff rooms, you know, I think you can tell that he's on top of everything game planning. Like if you were in that room, I don't know if, if you would have said, Oh, the redhead guy is actually the offense coordinator, not Steve Ensminger, you know, because he was very influential in it. And in front of, um, in front of the, and I don't, I don't, I didn't see him in front of a full, full team meeting. I only saw him in front of the offense. Yeah. The offense is, I don't know, 50 guys. Enough, yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big chunk of people. And what I thought he was really good at was um, being very affirmative. You're going to see this. And when they do this, this is what you're going to do. And I, I, I assume, and you guys would know this way better than me, but I assume that kind of mindset, I know why it works in college because you're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-olds. I assume it would carry over just just as well in the NFL, but it was always, they like to do this. And when they do this, this is what we do. And, you know, and he would go through the scenarios. And so, you know, what I thought, he, what how I felt like the balance was between he and Ensminger when they spoke was... Joe would basically give them the blueprint of this is what's going to, you're going to see, and this is why it's going to work. And it was Steve Ensminger would then, would then hammer home the emotional piece. And it was real. Like I, Steve Ensminger was a much more impressive speaker in front of the group than I had, than I had expected because you knew it was real. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if Joe Brady was going to even want to tap into that. He was really given the blueprint, but um, 
you know, I, I think he's going to ace interviews as to be a head coach because they're going to see how smart he is. You know, the one thing I would wonder, and I haven't talked to Joe since the season started, is I imagine he's going to be very choosy because he knows Tom Times on his side. And he know, I think he is very smart. He wants to be, I think, more of an NFL guy. It's not like he sees himself I, as a college guy. I think he's really wired on the plays and, and how this works. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that grows. And I don't know, you know, one of the challenges with this is if he does get to become a head coach, he has a relatively small circle in that, you know, he was with the saints for a couple of years. I can't imagine a bunch of the saints guys are going to, you know, move staff. He's obviously yeah. now with the Panthers. Um, so I, it's not like cliff um, who had played in the NFL had been around for a while or Sean McVay who spent, I don't know, his whole adult life basically around the NFL. So I think for, for Joe going William and Mary to Penn state and then, you know, I think that would that would to me be an interesting piece of how he help, gets helped assembling a staff if it comes to that. You know, Bruce, um, this program is is loaded with NFL talent. They've always been. It's always been like a a, a must stop destination for NFL evaluators. When you look at this team, because we're talking about this team in legendary status in terms of their offense, but when you're just around them, watching them practice. Did it feel like those old USC teams that you had seen in the past in terms of the amount of NFL talent and how they cultivated it and developed it? It did. I mean, the thing Ogeron has always been big on, he actually went even further back and said they practice with the edge that the Miami teams practiced with back then. And what, what that translated to the most, he watched this clip in front of like, it was really his D-line guys. So it was like, you know, probably five of us would be in there, six of us. And he watched... Um, a one-on-one rep from uh, Jamar Chase going up against Derek Stingley Jr. And then he would click over to like something that happened um, in, in uh, another rep where they were together. And he was like, this is it. This is iron sharpens iron. You have probably the best, most talented cornerback in the country against the best receiver. And all those things, like he doesn't want to see a scout team guy go up against a scout team guy. To him, that just doesn't really do anything for what they're trying to do right now. And so I think that part was a big thing. But you would see, um, like one thing that was, I don't know if this is maybe read too much into it, but I tried to sit in different meetings at different times to get a vibe. So at one point, it was a couple of days, I think, before the Georgia game. And I sat in the running backs room. And so... Clyde is next to me and like I became a huge believer in Clyde over the course of the year and I'm looking down and Clyde took more notes in that meeting than I probably took in a semester at (laughs) at Miami, you know, and I was like, okay, the guys who need to be the guys, they really get it, you know, and, and you would see that, like, I just kept on thinking, like, I'm not surprised that Patrick Queen blew up last year. I mean, early on in the season, and Ogeron tells the story is he gets a, um, a, a basically a message from his Patrick Queen's family. They want to meet with him, both parents and Patrick. And at that point, he's thinking this kid's going to go to the portal. I already got like two guys who were kind of the starter. Um, and the dad, who had been a former college player, said, what does he need to, what does he need to do to get better or to get on the field? And Ed basically gives him, you know, what he wants to see from him. Patrick Queen takes that to heart. Patrick Queen was, I mean, as you guys know, was their best linebacker last year. Phenomenal against Clemson, especially. And so you'd see guys 
really, really develop and get it. It wasn't just it wasn't just Joe Burrow, the Joe Burrow show. I mean, it was, but but you'd see these some of these other guys really blossom. You saw Clyde blossom. Obviously, you saw Justin Jefferson blossom, but I think you saw really saw it with Patrick Queen as much as anybody. Bruce, I, I want to get to some of the uh, the big picture stuff around college football. We were talking about this a little bit before you came on, but it seems right now, it, it, I don't know if I can recall uh, an era where we have more of the haves and the have-nots in the same teams over a prolonged period of time. When you when you look at Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, obviously LSU had their their run last year, but you know I would throw Oklahoma in there, and this year's a little different. But we've seen the same teams for a decade now. It's just over and over, and we're not you when you flip on the games. Even though we're all in conference season right now this year. There's so few close games, so few competitive games. What is the biggest difference right now from the haves and the have-nots? I just think they're recruiting at a different level. I mean, I, I, I think credit to Dabo because he built it, and they did build it on some really good players. But I think then all of a sudden success is bred success. I mean, anybody who thought Nick Saban was going to tail off um, was kidding themselves. You know, like, I mean, you just look at the receivers they have, right? And it, start, it starts with that. Like, I think Saban has has definitely evolved. I mean, he talked about how Hugh Freeze and what he did at Ole Miss really influenced him to to become more aggressive on offense. I think you see it um, certainly at Ohio State. I mean, the places that are cranking out the NFL talent are the places that are that have the best chance to win. I mean, and that's those are the ones where like they have so much more margin for error really is what I think it comes back to. And you look at um, some of these teams now, whereas Penn State, they went from having what they thought was going to be the best running back room in the country to one that's sorely depleted now, not just because they lose Journey Brown, Noah Keynes hurt, Ricky Slade earlier in the year transferred to ODU. And and so what you see is you see a quarterback, Sean Clifford, who has, you know, definitely has some ability, but it's not like he's a he's not Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. They have a terrific tight end and Jahan Dotson's coming on. But like there's not like I feel like teams are good enough where if you have like one really, really good player, you can take that away or you at least you can kind of mitigate him. Whereas these other teams we're talking about, like good luck with dealing with the Clemson receivers. And then Travis ATM goes off. Right. Good luck dealing with with Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, because now here comes the guy from Canada who's like a really good player and they have a really good offensive line. And Ohio State, what I think Ryan Day's done a really good job, and I think credit to Brian Hartline here especially, they have a tremendously deep group of receivers. And so it's picked your poison. Like that group a couple of years ago with Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon, um, like somebody was going to go off, K.J. Hill. You know, now it's like, you know, I talked to one of the guys I know on the staff. He was like, they have a freshman from Texas who had a great catch in week one, and I'm blank Jackson and Jibba. Maybe I mispronounced his last name. Um, you know, they think he's like a faster KJ Hill. You know, it's like, this is how it is at, at the, some of these programs. And I think that makes it so hard to compete with them just because you, you have no margin for error. Cause somebody, if it's not this guy, it's that guy. I mean, like, that's what really worked for LSU last year. You want to stop Jamar Chase. Great. Here comes, you know, like who killed Alabama last year? Clyde did. Yep. So it's just pick your poison. And if you're one of those teams that can do that and you have a really good quarterback who can distribute, then I, it's you're almost unbeatable. You know, Bruce, one of the things you talked about, two things that are really important. You talked about recruiting and then you talked about player development for those things to happen. It appears that you have to have a level of continuity on your staff. When I look at those top staffs, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, there doesn't appear to be a lot of movement each year. 
how are they able to keep some of their top coaches around so they can continue to build on this superpower that they kind of put in place? Well, they have financial commitment, one. That's a big thing. And then I, I certainly think they're, where are you going to go if you're on Ryan Day's staff, right? You know, hypothetically speaking, and, you know, I work with them now, but if Urban Meyer gets another head coaching job somewhere, um, maybe in the Big 12, you know, like, if, is his strength coach? Just, throwing that, just randomly threw that out there yeah. in the Big 12, huh? Just random. Okay. But, like, if if is Mickey Marotti going to leave – the strength coach who's been invaluable in Columbus to go leave Ryan day to go someplace else is his recruiting guy gonna, gonna leave like now, maybe I don't know that, but like, you know, these guys already have really good situations. Chances are the only places you leave are to be a head coach or maybe if, and, and the random, like Joe Brady had big had NFL roots to go to the NFL. I mean, to me, the, 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 the not craziest, but the most interesting subplot in all what we're talking about is the guy I would argue is the best defensive coordinator in college football right now, Brent Venables, has been a phenomenal hire for Clemson. He's also a great recruiter, but he's had some opportunities to leave. And now he's got two sons who are there. So I don't see him leaving anytime. He, you know, he's, I've talked to him a little bit about this where he, he knows himself well enough to go, I'm not just going to take any job, even if it's like a decent power five job, because I love what I have here. And so the fact that they were able to keep a guy like that, I mean, you know, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is great. Yeah, Travis is great. Um, the defensive coordinator, so Clemson's been able, up till Jeff Scott, I mean, I know they, you know, Chad Morris left, but for the most part, that Clemson group has stayed, stayed intact way more than certainly Nick Saban's group is. Now, what's different with Alabama is, and you guys know this, Nick Saban's really hands-on. It's all Nick Saban. I'm not saying the assistants don't do anything, but it's like Nick Saban's no walk-around guy. I mean, he's... It's Nick Saban's, you know, system and everybody else gets it. The culture's established. That's what kids are buying into. So that's why I think those particular places are on a different level than everybody else. And we'll see. You mentioned Oklahoma. Certainly Lincoln knows exactly what he wants on offense. I think he has really good offensive staff. And we'll see if what what Alex Grinch is doing on defense. They're starting to show signs that at least I I feel like there's been some baby steps and it's a lot of two steps forward, one step back with them. All right, last question because you've been so generous with your time today, Bruce. But this is uh, want to have a fun little exercise here. We always have to do these mock drafts, so we're going to bring you into the mock draft world. But we're not drafting players. We're gonna let's go two rounds. You're an NFL franchise who's been given an edict by your owner that you need to hire a college coach to be your next head coach. So I'm going to give you the first pick, Bruce Bucky. You go second. I'm going to go third and fourth, and we'll snake it back down. So we'll go two rounds here. You got the first pick, Bruce. You know, this guy hasn't won a national title, but the first name that jumps out for me is Ryan Day. And the reason why is I think in this day and age, you got to be very, very player friendly. I think Ryan's really smart. He's got some some stuff to him. He's also spent time in the NFL. He knows that world. Um, I think he's really smart. And I think players know he's genuine. So I he would, to me, be the guy I would say first. Oh, good pick. Nice pick. What you got, Buck? Okay, I'm going to go second. I'm going to take Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. And the reason why I'm going to take Brian Kelly is because he's had to deal with challenges with the academics at Notre Dame and then with the recruiting. I think he understands how to build a program. And so dropping him in in an NFL franchise where he has complete power, I'm sure he hired a general manager, I think he'll understand how to build a program that is sustainable. Oh, I like that one. All right, so I, I was trying to think and trying to find – 
someone that could have a similar impact is Matt Rule and what he's done in Carolina. Now, this is a little different personality, but in terms of bringing toughness and in terms of developing players, which I think is the lost art right now with NFL coaches and you're starting a program, I'm, I'm going to Utah. I'm taking Kyle Whittingham with my first pick. Nice. What do you think about that one, Bruce? Give me some feedback on that one. You know, I always say that working as a sideline reporter, the team that I am, that like I see in a different light when you see him at field level is Utah. They are mm-hmm. physical. They are nasty. I mean, every player runs like Zach Moss and they're just, you know, it's a, they're a little assembly line ish where it's like, you know, Hey, that's John Penasini. That's that, you know, it's like every year it's like, there's somebody else who just kind of, goes in and kicks somebody's butt. who's 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 done better than Kyle though in terms of developing offense and defensive linemen and and corners and safeties really secondary players mm-hmm. they have second third round picks every year at these positions and I don't remember on recruiting they ever being like oh wow look at Utah they just killed it today no and that's a, that's the God's honest truth and and it's there aren't that many guys who, like Eric Bowles was like a guy who blossomed in recruiting but I feel like there aren't like those it's like hey Dennis Erickson did a really good job getting the three South Florida kids out of Hallandale. And I know he's not like an NFL star, but Tyler Huntley was a terrific quarterback for them. Obviously Moss was really good. And I think he's really good at, I don't think he's worried about the NFL. I think he's just like, I want to develop butt kickers here. Yeah. Jalen Johnson, uh, Julian Blackman, who's playing really well. I mean, there's a long list of Utah players who are doing good things. All right. You got, so we, uh, you're up next. Oh, I get, I get another pick. Make draft, I get another, right? pick. I get another pick. Okay. So I want Kyle Whittingham. I'm going to come back with Matt Campbell. So that's my that's my those are my two guys, Kyle Whittingham and Matt Campbell. Wow. Uh, I like I like, that's not good. I like I like this Morris. I feel like I feel like we dropped the lead though, because if I'm gonna go to the college ranks, there's a guy who's already taken a team to the Super Bowl and Jim Harbaugh. Why why are we excited about Jim Harbaugh making another return to the National Football League as a college coach? You realize you realize under this scenario, you are the general manager that's going to have to deal with said coach going forward, right? Well, I mean, I, I understand that, but let's just say I'm at an ownership level, so I don't have to deal with it. Like I just want, <laughs> I just want the results, and I've I've seen him turn around multiple programs, and even though it hasn't gone to the the way that Michigan fans want, like I don't think there's any denying that this guy is a great coach, and he's been able to do some things with without meeting the expectations that Michigan fans have had. So I'm going to hire Jim Harbaugh. Uh, DJ, you got the guy I would have picked second when you took Matt nice. I am so, like, he is all about substance. And he's all, you know, I mean, that one, that's a really good one. I'm tempted to try to guard against where I think you're going next, which is probably not the smartest draft. You've got guy. the last pick. You've got the last pick. This is it. Uh, okay. We're only going two rounds. Um, man. I mean, well, let, no, let, let, let's do one more round. Let's do three rounds. We'll see. You, got, you get two picks. You get two picks. Nick Saban. Okay. You're going Saban. Like how, like, how is he still out there? Well, I think age. I think you're trying, if you're looking at kind of building for the future and all that, you know? I mean, he, he, he should still be out there. I just don't know if he, does he, does he want to go back? Like, he didn't seem like he enjoyed it much when he was there before. Does he seem like he enjoys anything? <laughs> All right. You get one more. You get right, one more than Becky and I. Go. I'm taking Scott Satterfield. Oh, now we're talking. Took yeah. my guy. Wow. Yeah, I love what he did, especially after Bobby Petrino had basically salted the ground in, in Louisville and – Players love him. I think he's a good offensive coach. I know he doesn't have all the pieces yet, um, but I think he's one. When you mentioned Matt Rule a little bit, I know they're different, you know, come from different places, different personalities, but I feel there's some Matt Rule in him where it's just like he's real and wherever he goes, he would fit anywhere. Um, I don't know how many guys I would necessarily say that about. Uh, I mean, since I'm 
piggybacking off the Jim Harbaugh tree, I think I'm going to go to Stanford and take David Shaw just because of the mix of NFL and college experience. Uh, the fact that he has been a part of like really solid offenses and he's had the challenge of maybe doing a lot more with less. I think I'll throw him in the mix. All right. I, I mean, I'm look, Lincoln Riley's still available. I got to take him. I mean, all, he always did his, this year withstanding, always done his win and develop quarterbacks and turn them into great players. So uh, I get I get a good offensive mind who knows how to develop quarterbacks. I'll take that. So let's recap here. You had Bruce, you have Ryan Day. Who else do you got? Who are your three picks? Uh, I have Ryan Day. I have the guy at Alabama who you both passed yeah. on. Yeah, Saban. Scott Satterfield. Okay, that's okay. good. Bucky, who'd you have? I got Brian Kelly, Jim Harbaugh, and David Shaw. Man, I got some angry guys at the top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a, we don't have a lot of players, coaches, but, but a, lot, a lot of anger. A lot of anger. Uh, well, David, David kind of balances that out. Shaw kind of balances <laughs> Is uh, Rich Eisen going to love you for taking Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan, or is he going to hate you? <laughs> Man, I don't know. That's the funniest thing. He won't, give you an honest, he won't give you an honest answer to that, I, I promise. Then yeah. uh, I ended up I ended up with Kyle Whittingham. Matt Campbell and Lincoln Riley. I feel I feel great about my draft there. Mm. <laughs> um, all right, hey Bruce. What uh, I know uh, you guys are at home this weekend, but uh, what are you looking forward to for this weekend? College football. What what should we be watching for? You know, I, obviously, I want to see how Clemson does. They're a little depleted, but you know, for me, you know, what are we getting from Notre Dame? I still have the Louisville game too much in my head, where there was kind of a clunker. I think yeah. Notre Dame is pretty good. I need to, you know, we need to see it. Um, obviously, Florida, Georgia is big, and I'm excited. You know, we're all on the West Coast. We have the 9 a.m. kickoff of USC, uh, ASU, two really good young quarterbacks. I think I think Keaton Slovis is terrific, and they got really good skill guys around him. If USC does not run through their regular season schedule, either they had some bad issues roster-wise in terms of, like, guys who could get on the field for whatever reason – or something's wrong because there there's nobody who should be able to hang with this offense, uh, you know, at least on their regular season schedule. Oh, that's good. We'll be on the lookout for that, man. This has been, uh, been a lot of fun catching up with our good buddy, Bruce Feldman, Bruce, again, the book, everybody go check out the book, flip the script all about the unbelievable year for the LSU Tigers, the incredible offense, Joe Burrow story, the Ed Orgeron personal stuff. You've got a little glimpse of it here, but there's plenty more in the book. So I encourage you to go get it. I'm assuming, Bruce, they can find that Amazon everywhere else where you can find books. Yeah, just search for it on Amazon or go to my Twitter handle. It's like basically the link is right in my bio. At Bruce Feldman? Uh, at Bruce Feldman CFB. At Bruce Feldman CFB. There you go. Uh, well, our thanks to Bruce for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you guys for, for hanging with us here on Move the Sticks presented by Zaxby's. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.